The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Heavenly Father, this morning we come before you worshiping you, lifting up your name on high, saying that you are God alone. You are glorious. You are King of kings. You are good. You are pure. You are holy. You're the only one who meets those descriptions. You're the only one who is truly, fully who you are. All of us, we just prayed, we, we just meditated on, on uh, you are one, God, and I am one. And we are one, but the I am one and we are one, that's, that's not really true outside of you healing us because we are bifurcated and we are broken and we are split and we are fractured and we do wrestle with the fallen man in us. But you are one, and in Christ you heal, and you make us one so we can confidently say, who shall separate us from God? No one. Nothing can separate us from God because he met us in our place of darkness and still loved us. God, you are so good. Spirit, would you lead us? Would you guide us? Father, there are believers all over this world. We're coming in relative comfort this morning. Some of us have really hard things going on, and there's a number of people, even in our congregation, who are struggling with really difficult things. And some who are sick. We have a whole bunch of people who are sick this week. Lord, we pray for them. We pray healing over them. We also know that there are believers today who are being persecuted for their faith. They are being separated from their loved ones. They are being told they cannot worship you. But you cannot be separated from your sons and daughters. And so for those of us who come in relative comfort and ease today, maybe the biggest concern we have on our minds is what the Phillies are going to do this afternoon. That's such a small, silly 
trite, fleeting thing. For those who face death today, for those who face persecution today, for those who face all sorts of problems today, a chasm that seems impossible to bridge, your love never fails. Your love never fails, God. We're here because we believe that, or we're here because we're hoping that that's true. Father, thank you for every person here. May we bask deeply in your love today, meditating on your love today. And may we go from this place today, having been equipped by your love to be people of love. And we pray and sing in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Thank you, worship team. Good morning, everybody. My name is DJ, one of the pastors here at PFC, and it's great to be with you uh, this morning. Um, We are continuing our We Are series. Can we get those slides up there, Uh, Peggy, this morning? Oh, uh, kids pageant. Um, The kids pageant practice is beginning today. So if you're a kid, um, if you're in high school or down, you are welcome to go back if you'd like to be a part of the pageant. So fifth grade through 12th grade, if you plan on being a part of the Christmas pageant, go join Miss Brandy in the junior church. All right. Bye, Grant. Bye, Coach. Oh, I just had to say bye. All right, we've been in a series called We Are... For the last several weeks, I started it with a teaching on our purpose, our purpose as a congregation. Anybody know it off the top of your head? Say it out loud. No God, God, show God. That's right. Let's see if this will work. Yes. Our PFC purpose is to know God and show God. And we have a we are statement that we'll say together. Say it with me. We are created to know God and show God. Very good. And then a couple weeks ago... I taught on this, our our mission, PFC's mission is to be a people following Christ up, in, and out. And our we are statement is this. Read it with me. We are a people following Christ up, in, and out. We believe that God has called his church to move in three directions up towards an honoring relationship with him. And that's what Pastor Dave uh, talked about last week. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about in. Um, So we believe that God has called his church to move in towards a dedicated relationship with one another. And that'll be our focus this morning. Uh, Moving inward, we are called as a people following Christ to be toward one another. And how, how is this possible? How do we broken, sinful, messed up people live in a way that is honoring and loving toward one another? And we are uh, called to live out towards a missional relationship with our world. I think I said the, the up for Dave. He actually, we're doing this in reverse order. So Dave actually talked about out last week. Pastor Brandon will be talking about in, or excuse me, up next week. I'm going to get this right. <laughs> up, in, out, up, in, out. All right. This was the statement that Pastor Dave had us say together last week. Can you read it with me? We are disciple makers. And, uh, and that leads us to this morning. There's um, a quote by an author named uh, Kurt Thompson. Kurt Thompson's written a number of really wonderful books. 
And he has this uh, statement, just remarkable statement in his book, uh, The Soul of Shame, where he says, every person is born looking for a person looking for them. Every person is born looking for a person who's looking for them. And this is actually biologically true. Um, a newborn baby, anybody know how far a newborn baby's eyes can see when they're born? 18 inches. So when you hold a newborn baby in your hands, how far is the face from you as a parent? 18 inches, give or take. Every person is born into this world looking for someone who is looking for them. You were born into this world longing to be looked at. You came into this world looking for someone. The moment you're born, you began to look around looking. Is there someone looking back at me? Is there someone who will see me? Is there someone who will name me? Is there someone who will hold me? Is there someone who will feed me? Is there someone who will clothe me? Is there someone who will speak to me and sing to me and whisper in my ear? I don't care how strong and tough you think you are. You were born into this world looking for someone to look back at you. That's God's design. That's God's purpose. So much of what the satanic lie of this world is, is you don't need that. You don't need someone else looking back. You got this on your own. You don't need anybody else. It's your way or the highway. You figure it out. Nobody was there to care for you, so you care for yourself. I look out for me, right? I'm the one who takes care of number one. That's all a lie. It's all a lie from the pit of hell. None of us are designed that way. All of us are designed as people who are looking for other people who are looking for us. Have any of you read or, or uh, thought about attachment theory or heard that phrase before, attachment theory? It's kind of in vogue uh, over the last uh, decade in, in the therapeutic world. Attachment theory is, is the idea of how humans form attachments. And attachments form in our brains. Um, and they form through physical contact. And they form through uh, seeing. And they form through sound. This is how we build attachments with other people, children who are deprived of eye contact, little babies who are deprived of a voice speaking to them, who are deprived of physical touch, are unable to form healthy attachments, and that carries out throughout their whole life. So when they're adults, they're still unable, they still wrestle, still struggle with forming attachments because it didn't happen when they were newborns. Maybe for some of you, that's your story and it's been difficult throughout your life because of that trauma in your past, because of that difficult start to form attachments. You were born into this world looking for someone to look for you, to attach, to touch, to heal. This is relatively new understanding in uh, neuroscience. It used to be 50, 60 years ago, the understanding Actually, before this series of experiments by Harry Harlow, the understanding was that attachment came just through a meeting of basic physical needs. And so back in the 40s, um, you can actually read about this, there were quite a number of psychologists who coached parents not to form 
touchy-feely relationships with their kids because they thought it was detrimental to the children. They, they coached parents not to make too much eye contact because it would make their children soft and weak. And the idea was that they thought humans were developed uh, basically through um, where you receive your physical nourishment. So feed your kids, clothe your, clothe your kids by all means, but don't hug your kids too much. Don't coddle them. Don't speak too many words of affection because you're going to um, stunt their growth as humans. Well, there was a, sort of a controversial um, a scientist who ran a series of experiments. His name was Harry Harlow. Anybody familiar with this series of experiments that he ran uh, in the late 50s? What Harry Harlow did, and this probably wouldn't meet modern ethical standards, um, but what he did was he took these monkeys uh, from their mothers at the moment of their birth, and he separated them from their biological mothers, and he put them in, a, in, an, uh, in an environment where there were two fake monkey mothers. Uh, one was uh, the, the one on the right. It was just a wire uh, monkey with barely a face at all, and in it was a bottle of milk. And so the monkey would go and receive nourishment from the wire monkey. On the left, there was a second mother monkey. This one had a more, uh, I guess, it still looks creepy to my eyes, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, more of a developed face and was covered in soft material. And, and so the monkey would go to receive physical touch from this softer object. And after, after allowing the monkey to develop an attachment to either of, uh, of these, the, the thought process at the time, the accepted thought process was that the monkey should be forming an attachment with the wire monkey because the wire monkey is feeding it. And so when something threatens the monkey, where would you expect the monkey to go to receive comfort? Um, it would go to where it receives nourishment. And, and so in this uh, environment, loud noises were introduced and scary visuals uh, were introduced to cause uh, the, the monkeys to be frightened. And every single time, every single experiment, the monkey never once went to the wire monkey with the milk. Every single time, 100% of the time, the monkey went to this one and clung to it for comfort, every one of us, we're not monkeys, but every one of us is born into this world looking for someone who's looking for us. Attachment is not formed primarily by what feeds us. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Attachment forms through words, through speaking, through comfort, through touch, through nearness, all of us are born into this world looking for someone who's looking for us. What this gets at is this beautiful, amazing word that we're going to talk about for a few minutes this morning. It's a Hebrew word. It's an untranslatable word. There's no other word in all of human language that is quite like this word. It might be along with Yahweh, uh, in the handful of most important words in human history. And this word is hesed. Um, can everybody say hesed with me? Let's say hesed. Hesed. Um, you've probably heard its equivalent in Greek, because uh, this is talked about probably a little bit more. Um, the equivalent in Greek would be agape. Have you heard that word before? 
So agape. Um, Agape is the closest thing that the New Testament writers uh, of the scriptures could find to capture the meaning of hesed. But agape actually doesn't quite uh, fill out all of the meaning of hesed because agape before Christians was a little used word. It actually wasn't used very often. And so Christians took this sort of obscure word for love in Greek and imported into it. They gave it a new meaning by importing into it all of the meaning of hesed. And you can see this in the love chapter where Paul, using the language at hand, does everything he can in 1 Corinthians 13 to take hesed and put it into the word agape. It's patient. It's kind. It's generous. It thinks highly of others. It puts itself up on the cross and endures the cross. Like all of these concepts of love, faith and hope, all of it he's trying to infuse into agape because that's what hesed means. It means all of these things. It's been called by biblical scholars the untranslatable word. Here are some of the ways that you will find hesed translated in your scriptures if you open them up today. Uh, it's, it's translated as love, enduring connection, enduring covenant love, steadfast loving kindness. What's interesting, have you ever heard the word loving kindness? You've heard that English word? So little, uh, little fact that's really cool. Loving kindness was not a word until the translators of uh, the Hebrew scriptures were trying to come up with a word in English that might capture hesed. And so they made up the word loving kindness. This word literally is made up to try to capture what it is that hesed is. So it's love, it's enduring connection, it's enduring covenant love, steadfast loving kindness, steadfast love, merciful love, loyal love, sure love, relentless love, extravagant love, affectionate satisfaction, love in action, great love, unfailing love, compassion, loyal friendship, divine kindness, merciful kindness, miracle mercy, ardent zeal, devotedness, graciousness. This word means all of these things. Isn't that an amazing word? So how do you translate it? When you come across it in the Hebrew scriptures, how in the world are you supposed to express this? The best we get in English is love. (laughs) But I love pizza, and I love God. (laughs) It's not a very useful word. (laughs) And so we really have to do a a lot of work, a lot of digging to get to what this is saying. Michael Card, maybe you've heard his music. Michael Card has been writing music, beautiful music for the last 30 plus years. And he wrote a book. He's also a a biblical scholar. And he wrote a a book on this word called Inexpressible. The entire book's about the word hesed. Beautiful book. I really encourage you to read it. He says this, hesed is when the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything. Let's think about Romans chapter 8, which I just read for us. Think about 1 Corinthians 13 with Christ on the cross and Paul's trying to define love. It's when the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything. Every child is born into this world looking for someone who will give them their world even though they've done nothing to earn it. What can a child do to earn your love as a parent or a caregiver? Absolutely nothing. They're useless. They make a mess. They're loud. They're annoying. They keep you up at night. They stink. And yet, who of us would not gladly lay down our lives for our children? That's hesed. That's connection. That's, that's attachment. 
when the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything. One of the most key foundational scriptures in all the Bible is Exodus 34, where God speaks his divine name to Moses and reveals himself. We've been going through a series where we're talking about who are we as a people? What's our purpose? What's our mission? This is God's purpose statement. If you'd say, God, why? Why do you exist? This is why. This is his answer to that, that most deepest level question for who are you? The Lord came down, it says, in the cloud and stood there with Moses and proclaimed his name, the Lord, and that is Yahweh, so I am. He, he proclaimed his name, I am. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, I am, I am, the Lord, the Lord. So the self-existent one, the cause, the one who was not created, the one who is eternal, I am that I am. I am, I am, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, or other translations in loving kindness, or steadfast love, abounding in love and faithfulness, that's the word hesed. So he says, the Lord, the Lord, I am, I am. I am compassionate. I am gracious. I am slow to anger. I am hesed. I am hesed. I am, I am that word that is impossible to translate. I am all of it. Maintaining that word, hesed, maintaining that love to thousands, thousands of generations, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And then there's this commentary that Moses, or one of the editors, adds, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. This word, this is why I would consider this word in the handful of most important words that exist, because this is who God says he is. He is the self-existent one. He is the I am. He is slow to anger. And he is all of the things we hope to receive and all of the things that we need. He is the source. In uh, the Psalms, there's a series of laments, and every single lament in the Psalms, except for one, has a turn. Every lament in the Psalm has a but, and it's the hinge point upon which the complaint then turns into a, a statement of trust. There's only one Psalm that just goes beginning to end complaining, so that's okay too some days, <laughs> but not very often. This, uh, in this one, David is lamenting. And he says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? And he goes through a series of complaints. And then in verse 5, all of a sudden, nothing has changed in his circumstances. It's just as bad as it was five seconds ago. But he says, but I trust in your, what? Hesed, your unfailing love. In every lament that turns into a praise in the scriptures, Hesed is the turning point. Every single one. But I remember this is who you are. So even though these are my circumstances, remembering who you are, my heart rejoices in your salvation. 
I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. David was a person born into this world looking for someone who is looking for him, and he experienced rejection after rejection from the very people who should have loved from him. And yet, when he was a little boy out in the field, there was a moment or a series of moments where he was communing with the Spirit of God, and he found that God was looking back at him. And so no matter what was going on in his life, he could say this, but I trust in your unfailing love. This is our we are statement for the day. We are created by love for love. How are we a people following Christ in? How can we actually care for one another? How can we actually see one another and provide for one another in all the ways that God has called and designed for us? Because we were created by love for love. So can you say this with me? We are created by love for love. And obviously love is capitalized intentionally. We are created by the one who is love for us to love in the same way that he has loved us. So four things I want to walk through really quick. Who is the Lord? How are we to live based on who he is? What happens when we can't live this way? And what is the Jesus way? And we'll see that Hesed is at the center of all of these things, and Hesed is missing in number three. So who's the Lord? We are, we've already looked at, at this. Um, the Lord's defining character is Hesed. We saw this in, in Exodus 34. The Lord, the Lord, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in Hesed, abounding in steadfast love. Look at what John the Apostle says. Using the Greek language, trying to capture the essence of Exodus 34, and what the Hebrew scriptures teach about God's steadfast loving kindness, he says this, Dear friends, let us love one another, agape, for agape, love, comes from God. <laughs> He's the source. Everyone who agape loves has been born of God and knows God. If he's the eternal father and you learn to love like he loves, that means you've been born of him. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Remember what Michael Card said about God's Hesed love. It's when the one who owes us nothing gives us everything. This is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. This is love, not that we love God. It's not that we found him. It's not that we figured it out. It's not that we broke the code. It's that <laughs> he loved us. And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. There's something in us that's broken to the point that causes us to be inseparable. Or uh, unable to, to, um, to make that connection with God once again. We're separated. But his love binds us back through the atoning sacrifice of Christ. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. This is who the Lord is. He is love. God is love. So how are we to live? Well, the Lord's defining act is his self-giving love. This is how we know what love is. That God loved us while we were still sinners. He died for us. And he expects us to act in the same manner. One of my favorite verses, and I love talking about this verse and thinking about this verse, is Micah 6.8. He has shown you, O oh man, 
And the Hebrew word there is Adam, like the name Adam, but it's Adam lowercase, so it's like mankind. That's what Adam's name means. It just means people. It means all y'all. And so he has shown you, all y'all, what is good. Julie says no. I can't, I can't do that. My wife says no. I, I retract. We'll delete that. Strike that from the record. He has shown you, oh man, oh people, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? What do you want? God, what do you want? This is what he wants. For us to act justly, and there it is, what? Hesed. That's what he wants. To hesed. He wants us to hesed. How do you translate that word? Well, here they try by saying, well, love mercy. What does it mean to love mercy? You have to take the whole story and bring it back to this word. You have to take the whole story of who God is and who he declares himself to be and re-import it back into this word to understand. Remember, the whole Bible is a giant uh, Wikipedia page with thousands of uh, glowing blue hyperlinks that you press on. And Hesed is one of the most important, biggest hyperlinks in the scriptures. And so when you see this word, press on it. And it takes you straight back to God revealing his nature to Moses and saying, this is who I am. He's shown you what he requires from you. What he requires from you is to act justly, to live with justice, and to hesed one another. To love like he has loved you and to walk humbly. Don't pretend like you are something you're not. What happens when we can't live this way? Well, there's no one who can live up to God's standard. Nope, not one. For instance, Psalm 14 says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, their deeds are vile, there is no one who does good. He has shown you what is good. There is no one who does what's good. The Lord looks down from, man, from heaven on all of mankind. That's Adam. He has shown you, O oh man, O oh mankind. To see if there are any who understand who seek God. To see if there are any who act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. What's it say? All have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good. No, not even one. And the Apostle Paul takes this in Romans chapter 3 and quotes from this in another uh, psalm and says, There is none. <laughs> no, not even one. So God is Hesed love. He's called us to live and act out his Hesed love towards one another, but there's not a single one of us can do it. So where does that leave us? PFC, a people following Christ in. If none of us can do this, then what are we doing? How do we do this? What is the Jesus way? Well, we love as God loves. I think it is so humorous that in John 13, after Jesus washes the disciples' feet, this is, you know, right before his crucifixion, at the end of his mercy, or at the end of his ministry, he says this, a new command I give you. And they're like, okay, what's the new command? Here it is, guys. The new command is the same one that's been given to you from the beginning. A new command I give you, love one another. But this time, what makes it new? What makes it new? What makes Jesus' commandment new? If he's saying the same thing. As I have loved you. 
Every person comes into this world looking for a person who's looking for them. For those of us who are in Christ, we have been held by the arms of the Father, and he has looked into your eyes in Christ, and he has said, I see you, I know you, I love you, I want you, I adopt you, I name you, you are mine. How do we love when we're so broken? We love when we're so broken because we have first been loved. A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. How did Jesus love you? Did he hold back anything from you? Is there one thing that Christ has held back from you? No, not one. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Okay, here's the, here's the whole message for today. People following Christ and by this, everyone, by this Coventry Glen, by this East Coventry, by this Pottstown, by this Southeast Pennsylvania, by this Philadelphia region, by this, everyone who does not know my love will know that you are my disciples in truth if you love one another. Agape, hesed, one another. John the Apostle, who is sitting in that room at the end of his life, reflecting back on this, says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love God, or does not love, does not know God. If, you don't, if we don't love one another, we don't know the self-existent, revelatory God who has said this, I am love. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Jim Wilder and Michael Hendricks uh, have a chapter on Hesed in their excellent book, The Other Half of Church, and they say this, attachment is the strongest force in the human brain. It is not an emotion, although we feel it strongly. And attachment runs much deeper in the brain below willful control. Attachment is the best word scientists could find for what glues people together and little creatures to their parents. It produces an enduring care for the well-being of another. What is Hesed? Attachment is a life-giving forever bond with no mechanism in the brain to unglue us. If God has an enduring love for us that brings us good, the only force in the human brain that can understand such lasting kindness and care is the brain's attachment system. Perhaps the biggest surprise emerging from brain scan studies has been that for our brain, identity develops through attachments. Joyful, secure attachments build a good brain. Fearful or weak attachments build a bad brain. When we say a bad brain, we mean an identity center that damages our relationships when we are upset. Character develops through relationships, hesed relationships, that can handle times when things go wrong. A secure Hesed attachment can ride through storms and remain loving. What shall separate us from the love of God? Storms, famines, demons, heights, depths, nothing. When God loves you, he's attaching himself to you and he's attaching you to him. Abide in me and I will abide in you. A secure Hesed attachment can ride through the storms and remain loving. Character in the brain is an expression of an identity that has grown strong and well. As Christians, we want an identity in our brain that looks like Jesus. 
this is um, a picture, and we'll, we'll end with this short story, uh, hopefully short, and then a brief thing that we're going to do together. Um, I want to talk about my family history for a moment. Some of you may know a little bit of this. Some of you uh, don't know this story. Um, but it's a, it's a beautiful story where God's hesed love broke into deep, deep dysfunction and stole people out of darkness and is redeeming them for the kingdom. This is my grandfather, uh, John Martin, Jerry, Grandpa Jerry. is an amazing man um, who is a giant teddy bear. Um, he was not always a giant teddy bear. Uh, he was born into the world looking for someone uh, who was looking for him. But rather than finding that, his father left when he was an infant, and he never knew his dad. And he was raised by my great-grandma, who was uh, a single alcoholic uh, mother. And she did the best she could, um, but it was very dysfunctional and very broken. And this is my grandfather's story. And he didn't know the Lord. He didn't grow up with, uh, with a relationship with Christ um, until he met my grandma, who was in a rebellious streak in her ten teenage years. Thank God for this. Because she married this uh, Marine who uh, once got in a, back when the Atlanta Hawks used to be the St. Louis Hawks. Uh, I'm from St. Louis. Uh, my grandpa uh, once got in a fist fight with several of the players on the floor during an NBA game. That's the kind of man he was. My, my grandma uh, met this young Marine, and they got married um, my grandma had kind of a little bit walked away from her faith, but then uh, they both came to the Lord. Um, and my grandpa came to the Lord when my dad, my dad who was their firstborn a child, was born. This is my grandpa and my dad, uh, circa 1964 maybe, something like that. And uh, my, my grandpa at the time uh, was just learning what it meant to follow Jesus, and he didn't leave. He stayed. Um, even though he never had an example of a father, he, he stayed. And it wasn't perfect. Uh, sometimes he was emotionally distant and absent. Part of it was the culture of the day where men were expected to be more distant. Some of it was working through his own things as he grew and matured in the Lord. Um, the key thing, though, being that he stayed. <laughs> he broke that family uh, lineage of, of the father leaving, and he stayed. Um, this is a picture of me circa 1989, maybe, and that's my dad. And my dad more than stayed. Uh, my dad was deeply attached to me uh, from, from the moment I was born. I came into this world looking for someone, looking for me, and I found two people who were more than glad to gaze back into my eyes. And... My dad's not perfect. Uh, there's lots of dysfunction and brokenness, and, but he's an amazing dad. And he's invested in me my whole life. And so it gets a little healthier as the Hesed love of God breaks the curses. And a man who could do all that he could do was, was stay at first. Today, this is my grandfather. He just prays. That's all he does. From the moment he wakes up to when he goes to sleep every day, he's just praying. He's praying for me. He's praying for you. 
because you're part of my story. He never knew his dad. That's what God's love does. That's God's hesed love. To where I just can't get close enough to my kids. I can't get close enough. Just pop her head off if I could. (laughs) This is my little Gracie girl. I just can't get close enough. That's how God feels about you, but so much more. That's how God wants to hold you, but so much more. I don't know where you are in that story. Maybe you're my grandfather in that story, and things are still pretty broken. I mean, 50, 60 years ago, things didn't look good. Certainly 70 years ago, things did not look good. Maybe that's where you're at in the story. But 70 years later, because of the covenantal, saving, hesed love of Jesus, I can stand here today and say, God saved a family. Not just a person, he saved a family. So don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged where you're at in the story. God's love is redeeming and he's saving. And may the next generation in your line be able to say, look at what God's love did in my parents' generation, even if it was just that they stayed. We are created by love for love. Every person comes into this world looking for a God who is looking back for them. And all of us in Christ have seen that, have tasted that, that there is a God who holds us like that, who loves us like that, who has seen us, who has known us, who has loved us. How do we develop as a community marked by Hesed? Here are some practices, some practical practices. We build joyful experiences together. We share food and drink. That's how we attach to one another. We share our weaknesses and struggles. Say, I'm, I'm struggling here. Can you pray for me? You know how when someone shares vulnerably how much more you love them just immediately because they were honest? We share weaknesses and struggles. We build trust by showing up. And when we're wrong, we admit it and say, I'm sorry, I blew it. We serve together. We take out the trash together. We clean together. We do little acts that seem small, but in the end, they add up to something spectacular. We make eye contact. In a world of disembodied screens, we look at one another in the eyes, and we say, hello, how are you? We practice appropriate physical touch and nearness. Some of you want a big old hug, and I'm happy to give you one. Some of you want a fist bump, and that's pushing it. So if you're a fist bump person, just hold it out. We, need, we, were, we were born for physical touch. That was one of the, just the, the devastating things of living through a pandemic, was not seeing one another, not being close to one another, not touching one another. And we sing together. Singing uh, really builds connection. 
It really, it really builds love. In fact, the Apostle Paul says, sing to one another. That's the language. Sing to one another. <laughs> Have you ever done Church in the Round where you've done a circle instead of like looking at a stage and you've sung to one another? It's a beautiful experience. And we're going to do that right now. So if you are on the worship team, would you stand up? Uh, we practiced this at a recent worship practice. The worship team members standing in our midst uh, are going to sing to us. We're going to sing the Lord's blessing to you. We're going to build Hesed. So they're going to look around while they're singing. It may be awkward, but they're building love and connection. So smile at them so they don't feel isolated. Let us sing this over you. And then, um, and then we'll sing it together. And I'm just going to play a, a G chord so we're on the right key. All right, everybody listen. Ready? Ready? 